everybody. Welcome to Film Music Media. My name is Kai Savas, and I'm here sitting with a very talented Emily Sankofa. Uh, she's a composer, producer, musician, uh, performer, artist, all <laughs> all encompassing. Uh, Emily, thank all you so things. much for, for, for talking today. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. And um, I always enjoy these conversations just to give people uh, more of a background on my story and, you know, how I work and how I see the world. And yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So to start off the conversation, I, I, I like asking composers this question. You can take it however you perceive it. Uh, mm -hmm. Simple question, maybe has bigger a bigger answer. But as a person, as an artist, as a human being, what does uh, music mean to you? Um. So I want to answer this question by just saying, like, music is a key, right? It's a key mm -hmm. that unlocks so many doors um because when you think about the role of music in everyone's life um it's a way for people to escape it's a way for people to um enjoy life it's something yeah. that people always flock to for any occasion whether it's celebration whether it's mourning whether it's um to focus whatever the case may be so in my opinion um music is the key that unlocks whatever door you really wanted to unlock and it's um I think it's a safe space, whether people acknowledge it or not, but that's yeah. what it is, in my opinion. Absolutely. So rewinding back, I want to go back to kind of your childhood. And I'm curious, mm. you know, when did this, <laughs> when did music find you or when did you find music? Was it something that was always around you as a child? Did you have to go looking for it? Did it find you? I'm curious, when did it start and started kind of becoming part of your life? Um, so I come from a musical family. Um, my father played bass guitar. Uh, he played tuba in the marching band in college, and he played a lot of brass instruments and in, in coming up. Um, my mother played violin. She was an all-state in high school. Uh, she marched in the band in college, but she didn't play violin. But, you know, mm. I, I come from a long line of pianists, singers. Um, I think my grandmother had perfect pitch. So it's just like, <laughs> Music has been around me since I was in my mother's stomach, literally. Yeah. Like, um, and I started singing in the choir at two. So my my mom and my parents exposed me to music relatively young. Um, my father was also a DJ, like on the side, you know, oh, wow. as as I was growing up. So a lot of times, um, I would be digging through his crates. Uh, yeah. I would go with him and help him on his DJ gigs. And and at some at one point. Um, I'll never forget he left a record at home that somebody requested and he left me for an hour to DJ while he wanted to do that. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like this is <laughs> all the all the experience and shadowing I've been doing now is my time. Um, so it's just been it's been a long journey really since since yeah. birth. I mean, music has been a part of me since I've gotten here. So um I think it's just a natural, um a natural just thing you know what I mean it's yeah like, like sleep like eating like you know you know yeah you never had a time where it wasn't just part of your life exactly so, exactly so uh, when did it become like okay this is like this is life was it always just like a natural thing that you were going to make this into a career or did you have to come mm. to a decision with like okay I'm going to pursue this I love it right. I, I've been doing this since I was a child and it's I love it and or was it always kind of like you're going to try other things and keep that as a hobby I'm curious so for the longest time, I actually thought I was going to be a professional basketball player. Um, oh, wow. And then it and then it transitioned to soccer because like my parents, 
did a great job with making sure we were well, we were well-rounded. So yeah. they introduced us to music, sports, tech, like we would be in camps every summer. Um, so there was a lot that we were exposed to and that we had to choose from in terms of understanding what we liked and understanding which direction we wanted to go. Um, and because I had done music so long or just been around music, because I, I mean, like I said, I was in the choir too. I was yeah. in orchestra in second grade. Then I went to band third grade and I've been in band playing with large ensembles, smaller ensembles since like third grade. Um, and so um, I think middle school was the first time um, that I was like, wait a minute, I want to start producing music. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because yeah. up until that point, it was me playing sheets of music that was put in front of me and just playing things that were a part of like group ensembles and things like that. But right. I did a social studies project in school and one of my peers on their group project, they made a song. And so you got a kid bringing a song, a really polished, nice song with lyrics. The the beat, the beat is done. Like, I'm like, yo, how did you do that? <laughs> so he puts me on the Fruity Loops and I'm like, okay. I went home that day. I said, dad, I just like my friend just put me onto this. Like, can you buy it? And so he bought me Fruity Loops, the most basic version. And he was like, okay, let me see what you can do with that first. Yeah. And so I spent day and night on Fruity Loops, day and night. And I made some really cool stuff. And he's like, okay, let's see where you go. So from then, from middle school up through like high school, I was kind of getting my brain into the mode of like, I, I really want to be a producer. And right. I went to college with that mindset as well. But when I got to college, I realized very quickly that being a producer, it's not like a corporate job where you can apply to you know on this portal or turn in an application we're still yeah. doing paper applications at this point um it wasn't a thing where you could just apply and it's like oh yeah you're a great fit it's it's a matter of relationships and working yourself up through kind of like a funnel like a funnel you know what I mean yeah absolutely and so I said okay cool I went to Hampton University by the way for music recording and there we learned you know engineering we were required to um do recitals and 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 keep our our swords sharp as musicians. Um, so you know, I was like, okay, I think my entry point is going to be as an engineer. Mm. And so I focused on that, and I was really good at that. Um, I was I was really good at it, but I'm like, man, I, I still I want to be creative because I was also still making beats on the side, but I just felt like when I was engineering sessions and recording and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I felt like I just wasn't able to put my best creative self in the mix. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I feel like, I think it was like my, my senior year. No, it was, yeah, it was my senior year of school. One of my professors heard a piece that I made for class and he said, I think you should see what's up with film scoring um because your work is is very cinematic mm. and i think you should investigate like what this what this career path looks like so he put me on to scad savannah college of art and design and um from there i got in and i went there for grad school and after that it was just kind of like i knew immediately what i wanted to do yeah did you, were you aware of film score at the time? Like, I'm curious how it comes like that late in life because you were into music, but then somebody had to like, hey, what about this? And then it kind of opens up that, you know, you realize like, oh crap, like that's, that whole world exists, you know? Well, 
Well, what's interesting about that is that um, I was I was unconsciously already aware because the thing is, it's like my mother my mother played violin, so yeah, yeah. I grew up listening to classical music. She played in the morning before you know, while we were going to school, she used yeah. to take us to see the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra every year. They have multiple concerts a year. Um, she would take us to operas, plays and stuff like that, where there were orchestras and just, and, and, and like just things where music was a huge part of the storytelling element. Right. And so I was around it. I was listening to it. I was immersed in it but I just hadn't quite made the connection so it's kind yeah. of one of those things in life where your your life kind of shows you where it's going but you don't know how to connect the dots or you don't you're not aware enough to connect the dots yet right. um and that's kind of what it was and so it was an easy transition because I was already I already understood the sound of large ensemble already had a knack for telling stories through music. And so it was kind of like, okay, let's refine and let's dig into what this actually looks like and let's explore um, a few of the technicalities and just some of the um, the elements that actually make you good at what this is, film scoring or just what, even sound design um, because yeah. I was very interested in that too. And that sometimes in my work there's a there's a fine line between sound design and score too um but yeah that's kind of like you know I was I was immersed in it already so it was an easy it was an easy pivot and the other thing too was that I recognized very early that um as a black woman operating in this space I was an anomaly already right and when you yeah. think about when you think about even just the um nature of like women and just in general like people in the music industry that just we're not even talking about film yeah yeah it's it's oversaturated already and it's like okay well why would like why do we want you or why do we need you to be a producer we have so many people to choose from it's like it's harder for people to listen to what you have to offer and so when i realized that i'm like okay it's not a, there are not a lot of people that look like me in this space. And so if I show up, it's already a conversation and there's already a way right. for me to be like, okay, I have your attention without speaking first. So now let me show you what I can do and yeah. we can go from there. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like my thinking behind it too. It was very strategic as well because it's, it's like, it was just a way for me to be my best self, my most creative self, and also do things at the speed at which I felt. Cause even like as a producer, sometimes you have to wait on an artist yeah. to, you know, get your stuff heard. And, and I actually have, at some point um, started making albums where I was like producing things from beginning to end. as like concepts. And then people were like, well, maybe you should be the artist. And I'm like, ah, okay. And I, I did that for a while. I still do it. Um, but it's, it was like, Film scoring was the was the space that sweet spot for me. Right. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, this is this is it right here. Yeah. So when you when you decided to pivot there, and what were kind of the first steps to get your feet in the door? Did you have to make a? Did you start working as an assistant? Did you uh, you know start <laughs> collaborating? With, I mean, I know you did some shorts and you know kind of built up. And how do I mean? I'm just curious. How do you? Especially you're like, okay, I'm an anomaly in this space. How does mm -hmm. that anomaly break in and then become, you know, I guess part of the space? 
You know, that's a great question because my path is very unconventional. Um, yes, a lot of yeah. people, a lot of people start off as assistants or they write for, you know, bigger composers. And that's just not my journey. I tried right. that route, um, but it didn't quite work out for whatever reason. I think um, my, so I'll back up. I went to SCAD, of course, I mentioned that. And at SCAD, you know, I think it's unique um in relation to other art schools because like what I learned about a lot of the other film programs is that they don't necessarily have a sound design or a sound major they have classes mm -hmm. but there's not a specific major and at SCAD we literally learned everything from production sound to post music all of that so that's ADR Foley every single component yeah. um and it's a very collaborative environment so we spend a lot of time building relationships, working with the film and TV students and refining our skills as composers or sound designers, whatever we wanted to be. And so when I left SCAD, a lot of me and my peers went out to Los Angeles together and we spent a lot of time working on projects together, whether that was our independent films or whether that was like somebody might have been working at BuzzFeed and it's like, hey, I yeah. have to crew up. So let's. I'm going to hire you guys. So it was a combination of a lot of those things and just me proving myself in these environments and people calling me back or saying, hey, I have this project. Like, could are you available to do the score? Are you available to do production sound? And the other thing is that, like I told you, I didn't have the luxury of like necessarily having a mentor or somebody to work under to get right. my start. So what I did was I, I used to do production sound and I knew that directors, when they're doing, when they're filming and shooting, they're not thinking about post right away. So what I would do is I would do production sound and I would get to the directors before they're thinking about music. And I'm saying, hey, are you guys like, who, who is your composer? Like, who's doing the music? They're like, you know, that's a good question. I haven't thought that far. I'm like, great. Okay. <laughs> You've seen my work ethic with, with the production sound. So like, let's see, I'll, I'll send you some references and just send you some things that I feel will be appropriate for this film and we can go from there you can make your decision and a lot of times it was a easy it was easy it was like hey yeah. okay like come on let's let's do music and I started building my name that way as well um because the thing is it's like when you're coming up as a composer like you're not paying your bills immediately so production sound was quick turnaround you're on set almost every weekend you can still pay your bills but then you could still get to the director's before they're thinking about music and you can build relationships in that way. And that's a lot of, that's a, a lot of times how I built relationships directly um, with producers, directors, and other people on set that might've been, you know, a gaffer, a cinematographer, but they have their own project they're directing and it just, you know, things like that happen. Um, but, but that's pretty much like my journey. And then um, I did the Sundance Composer Lab in 2021. Um, and in the Composers Diversity Collective that was founded by Michael Abels. Oh, Michael's great, um, yeah. Yeah, so in, in 2017, actually when Get Out first came out, um, I went to see that and I'm like, okay, this score is crazy. Like, who did this score? <laughs> I looked Michael Abels up. Michael Abels is at this point, he's still teaching at the school that he was working at. Right. And so... I'm looking him up. I'm like, man, I, I can't even find any other films that he's done. Like what's going on? So I found some of his work on YouTube. Right. But I realized I'm like, this is the first film he's ever done. And that blew my mind. So I went, I found this email 
on this school's website that he was working at. And I'm like, can we have coffee? Like, can we talk? Can we chat? So he agrees. We, we, you know, sit down, talk. And he invites me to be a part of the Composers Diversity, the Composers Diversity Collective. And from there, that, that um, entity blossomed into a space where people like me and a lot of other people of color um, can come together to lift each other up, hire, you know, get yeah. work, like all of these, all of these different things. And even just being exposed to executives so that they know we are here, we exist, we're, you know, like we're here, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and it became a place where I was able to build a lot of relationships. And so that was a space that I leveraged a lot too. And I was able to get a lot of unique opportunities that might've taken me much longer had I worked under somebody or, yeah. you know, had I just gone a more traditional route. Um, and even the re the recording Academy, I, I was a part of Grammy U for a long time before I became a voting member. Um, so I leveraged a lot of the opportunities that were designed for um, like youth. Cause when I moved to LA, I was still in my twenties. I, I spent five years in LA. So I was able to leverage a lot of the in-between organizations that they have for like 18 to 25 year olds right. yeah. and where they're, where they're offering a lot of mentorship opportunities and things like that to kind of um, get in the mix, build relationships, take advantage of a lot of the um, opportunities like Christopher Leonard's. I was through Grammy U. I was able to sit in on his scoring session um, for, I think it was, boss the boss or I, I think that was the film um but even then I was that was on the Fox scoring stage and it yeah. it brought me closer to understanding like what happens behind the scenes he had his yes. music editor that was where I first became aware of Dara Taylor who was at that point his music Dara's editor amazing. yeah yeah she was his music editor and I'm like what like this is amazing. And now she's, she's composing and doing her own films and stuff like that too. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you see all of these people and these dots and these, these little, these little gems and crumbs that the universe gives you and you, you're not realizing how it stacks up. And I just took every opportunity seriously. And I just leveraged every moment the way that I could. And I, I really, um, I decided, I made up in my mind that I had to do this my own way because it might not happen the way that I wanted it to had I relied on other traditional lanes or, yeah. you know, ways that people went about it. And I think that it's paid off. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. Cause I, I moved, I moved to LA in the similar. So I'm not a composer. I went to film school. I'm from Maryland. I went to film school right, mm. outside, Baltimore, right outside Baltimore. And then I moved to LA with just with all my friends, again, high school friends, it's always yeah. great to do it in a group. And then but I've been, and I did start doing this on the side because I always loved film music. It's what got me into, mm. uh, to the filmmaking thing. But right. I've seen being part of this community for the past decade, over a decade. I'm, I, I remember when Michael created the composer, you know, the, you know, the collective and then the Alliance for Women Film Composers came yep. up. And, I mean, that as well. Yeah. And it just started blooming and blossoming and like growing. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, yeah, it, it, as technology and social media blew up, it kind of gave people different avenues 
to yeah. access opportunities. And I found that just amazing and how the community came together to just kind of lift everybody up instead of like, no, nope, you got to do the, the traditional route because before that, yeah, you go work under a big composer name, an A-lister, but then you're kind of overshadowed by that person probably, you know, for your entire career. So. Yes. And that yeah. was the other thing that I, that I realized because even, even some of my peers that worked in the music industry that worked under people, like I, I did a lot of internships, um, music industry yeah. internships, um, and I, I just saw that like people who were up under them that originally were just there kind of trying to get their start and it became their life and they never ended up being the thing that they wanted because they yes. got so wrapped up in someone else's journey and being their assistant. And there's nothing wrong with that because no, not at all. Yeah. yeah, there's like everyone has a place and everyone's journey is different. But I realized that I just did not want to get wrapped up into that because my, I, I had a unique way of doing things. I have a unique voice in general. Um, and that's the other thing too, is that I didn't come from a film scoring program, sound design, sound design. Cause like we have one music class at SCAD, which was just music editing, music supervision, scoring. That was all in one class. Um, and so fortunately, like my, my musical background kind of helped propel me a little bit further because it's like yeah. in, in, um, even, even in college, pretty much being a music major helped a lot too. It's just the skills are transferable. It's just understanding how to leverage your knowledge within the storytelling space and the pacing and the collaborative environment. Right. Absolutely. But with, film composition like uh or like film scoring programs I didn't come from like USC or UCLA and that's a that's a whole nother beast as well and I I just kind of saw like that path just wasn't for me because I I couldn't um I just didn't feel that it would be that it would work out the way that I wanted um and I just saw a lot of people kind of get stifled or just caught up because it's good money sometimes and mm -hmm. Some people get burnt out too. And I'm just like, ah, I'm going to take a risk and see what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's just like, I just have a lot of conviction too. And when I know that I want to do something, I just set out and get it done. And yeah. I also want to, I also want to thank like Catherine Bostic. Um, oh, Catherine's amazing. Um, yeah, I know yeah, Catherine, she's, yeah. yeah, she's been instrumental in just like kind of mentoring me from afar, kind of putting me on game. Um, JB, um, he's great too. Like, He's given me a lot of opportunities, some stuff where he's been too busy to like take on a project. He'll be like, hey, I, I want to recommend this composer, Emily, like she's great. And, you know, we go from there. So it's a lot of yeah. stuff like that, too, that happens where, you know, sometimes you get your shot because that person that you've been like connecting with is too busy now and they're getting stuff faster than they can handle. And it's like, yeah, all right, here's your time to show and prove. And it just, it grows from there. It becomes, it's like a ripple effect. And, and I, and I'm excited to be doing that now too, because a lot of people that um have kind of watched my journey and seen, you know, kind of the entire path, they're like, oh man, what, like, how do I get into this? Or just, you know, I didn't think it was possible. And I've been trying to get people in the mix, whether that's as musicians, I hire a lot of my peers as musicians sometimes. I might even hire them to write a few cues just so they can get their feet wet to see like what it's like and to figure out if this is like something you want to do. Because I also tell my peers, like, this is not a space that you just hop into because it's 
you're not things are not working out as a producer or whatever because what I've learned too is not every producer that mindset translates to the film world it's a different right. workflow it's yeah. it's very fast it's on demand a lot of revisions it's a lot of, you know what I'm saying yeah it's, it's very demanding and it's like you have to be you have to have the thick skin <laughs> you have to have thick skin and patience <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and 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 I talk I tell my friends this I'm like I'll I'll let you come on for you know write a cue or two see and and some people are like dang I don't know how you do this you know like one time I wrote like 80 minutes of music in like a week you know what I'm saying wow, yeah and it's like I don't know I just <laughs> it just it just happens it works you know what I'm saying because I just love yeah. it I love to get in the dirt and just go I know, you know what I, I mean? people like yeah people like you and everyone in this business like we love it and that's the thing people you know you'll be working and grinding and you'll see all your friends who went to business school you know buying their houses and cars and and you're still in a one bedroom apartment in studio city somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but no you, you know what you, i feel that yeah you keep grinding though and it will come it just comes like you know you work hard in the dedication and your conviction which i agree that you have and i mean the way that you've kind of paved your own path i find so admirable and so inspirational absolutely no i appreciate that i appreciate that yeah i i try to uh you know i try to at this point as my career because my career is kind of just starting still but it's also yeah. blossomed so much in a way so fast right. um that it's like okay cool i now have a little bit of space to give people opportunities in the way that people gave me opportunities because i understand the importance of um, just being the dot connector. That sometimes that's all people need. They don't need yeah. you to hold their hand through the, you know, the entire way. It's just like, hey, I just need one opportunity and I'm good from there. And I'm okay yeah. with that. So it's been, it's been fun getting on the other side of the table now. Um, and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to shift more and you, okay. you, you, we've talked about you kind of the the actual logistics of, of your career. Yeah. And, and let's talk about just you as a, as a writer, as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to, I'm curious about um, your process a bit before we jump into some projects and work in the specifics. I, I'm always love to know where the first note comes from. And I know that it's going to be mm. completely different based on your project or what you're doing, whether you're writing to, but let's focus maybe just on writing to picture. Um, where do you love to go to for that first step when you, when you're on a project? And if you're maybe lucky enough to be early on and and get to speak with the director and read the script but I'm curious do you like to start noodling ideas that early do you like to wait for the first cut do you like to mm. have conversations before you come with ideas I'm curious where you like to gravitate towards to kind of get that first idea out of your head yeah so I really like being in the mix as early as possible mm. because um that just like reading scripts just gives me an idea of the tone um it just allows my brain to start immersing itself in the world of the characters and the world of the entire film or show in general um and just to get a chance to see where the writer's minds are and the director's minds and it it's kind of like when I used to read Harry Potter books when I was a kid and everything that I imagined when I was reading those books, it literally translates to what the movies ended up being. And I'm like, right. oh, yes, this is incredible. <laughs> so I like I can visualize things very well. And a lot of times what ends up being on picture is what my brain thought of while I was reading. So right. it's very helpful to see that. It's very helpful to talk to directors, to get a feel for like what they're listening to while they're editing or writing, you know what I'm saying? To see what is influencing the mood of what they're building out visually. Um, and so 
when I get to that phase, I'm identifying characters that are um, important to the story. I'm identifying certain locations or certain words that keep coming up in the script over and over that I'm seeing. Um, and what I do is, I, I think we talked about this um, before, but I use Morse code to develop yes. the themes and motifs and uh, in my work. And so what I do is I start jotting these words down and I'll build them out with Morse code and I'll start listening to the rhythm of things and I'll work through some of those initial concepts to see if I land on or to, to basically land on what I want the motif to be or how I want to spell things out so that it feels best musically. Right. Um, I find it so, so fascinating. I know we talked about that <laughs> on the panel. So if you're watching this just with us and Emily, but she's she was also part of a panel we did that we just got to. But yeah, that the Morse code thing is so fascinating to me. And I'm just because my brain, I don't have like a mathematical brain at all. So I'm sure you're breaking it down, like in terms of rhythm and, and all that stuff. There's is there what happens when a word doesn't, I guess, come up with anything like when you just and there's like you just kind of move on and do something so, else. No. So what happens is it's it's really because like what we talked about is like words or really themes and motifs the shorter and the more concise the better because yeah. that's what sticks in the brain of people like right. people have to acknowledge the pattern to gravitate to it mm -hmm. so sometimes i'll spell out words and i'm like and eh, that's too long so i might need to make it an acronym or i might mm -hmm. need to just use the first letter of the word because the morse code spelling of that one letter might be long enough to like establish the rhythm right and then once I once I established the rhythm, it's kind of like how John Cage used to work with his graphic scores or when he would just write out certain pieces and he would give the musicians an opportunity to um, establish the note value or um, the pitches that we're assigning to what they see on the paper. So sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's that, but it's also me deciding, like, because you can... I could do multiple films where like I'm using the acronym, the same acronym, but yeah. you would never realize it because there's different note values attached to the dots or the dashes is different pitches or, you know what I'm saying? The chords, the harmonies for that is, is different. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, wow, it's an infinite amount of possibilities. It's just like, we have 26 letters in the alphabet, but how many words do we have? You know what I mean? So right. it functions yeah. like that, you know? And even with um, when it comes to musicians, every time I work with musicians that are that you know get a chance to see this process and how I build these motifs out, they're like, oh, "This is so cool!" and and they're always excited because they don't always get the flexibility to um, contribute creatively. Because what I see when it comes to musicians, I see it as a conversation. Right. So yeah. I create a map and the and sometimes the musician is the answer to the question, which is like the map is the question. The musician is the answer. And then when they come back, I'm adding on top of that. So we're having a, a conversation as we're molding the music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus just putting a sheet of a sheet of music in front of them, which I absolutely do. But sometimes you miss the opportunity to get something really unique because you've already limited them to what they should be reading. And sometimes what you map out on paper, it doesn't necessarily fit their expression, the way they express on their instrument. 
So you're limiting yourself in a lot of ways. And I've found that I get the best out of musicians when I invite them into the conversation versus spitting out absolutes at them and they don't get a chance to express themselves in a way that we get the best possible results. And a lot of times the mistakes end up being the best part of it because you get really cool results. And it's like, dang, I didn't even think of it that way. And I would have been, we just wouldn't have known this possibility had I just slapped the sheet of paper in front of you and said, Hey, read this. You know what I mean? Right. It just, it just creates opportunity for um, the conversation to build trust with musicians because a lot of times, especially musicians that that work as session musicians, they don't always get the flexibility to put themselves in the work. And I and I get why composers also have reservations about that because sometimes it's like about oh, I want the credit or just for whatever reason that might just be your style and you want what you want. Yeah. But I just feel that. Um, we're already working in an environment where we're just being told like, this is what it is. This is what you need to do where let's just play. I feel like let's experiment. Let's play. Like we don't have to make this so rigid. It's our career. Sure. But let's, let's have fun with it. And I feel like that's the way that you get the best results from people is by giving them space to put themselves in the work and they're, and and when it's released, they're excited. You know, there's yeah, no they, bad blood attached to it. It's like they feel man, ownership of it too. That's like right, it's a shared right. uh, ownership of everything. Like yeah. right, right, and it's like you know, a, a lot of the biggest composers have writers, they have orchestrators, they have people behind the scenes. Not everybody reveals the team that they have. They don't always prop their team up, but you know, I try to do that. Um, and, and, you know, Basquiat, I'll, I'll connect it to Basquiat because a lot of times when Basquiat was coming up, he would, people would uh, make fun of his elementary painting style, right? Yeah. The thing that people don't realize is that he could paint. He could paint. He chose to do the style that he wanted. The style mm-hmm. that we see that he's famous for, he chose that. So it's like, for me, I don't feel any way because I could do, I could do all the, the, the crazy writing. I could do all of it on my own. Sure. But like, as you scale, as you grow, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's all the time. You just need other minds. You need other, um, different types of thinkers. You need different people in the mix to make something the best that it could possibly be. So I just try to be as collaborative as possible when possible um and I try to let people know like no this is who (laughs) who helped me with this this is who played on this like you know so yeah absolutely well uh let's jump into I want to jump into some like we can talk some projects I want to yeah more specifics so I want to start with step up high water which is Mm. uh fantastic and I'm curious you know uh, so you you shared you know uh, co-composing credit. I know Jeff Peters and Jared uh, Gustav, I think, started the series. And then I think Steph, did she come in? Did you co- co-compose with Steph or did it, was it a, a... Yeah. So me and, so I only worked on season three with Stephanie. So Stephanie and I co-composed on okay. um, uh, season three of Step Up. And then I think on season two, Steph worked with, um, I think it was, she co-composed with one of the other composers. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And in the first right. season, Steph, I, Steph didn't do the first season, right. but yeah, it was, it was uh, Steph and I on season three. So talk like, yeah. So you come into a show that's already kind of 
and it's you know it, it's got its growing pains out of the way it's probably found some sort of rhythm and groove and and mm -hmm. Steph is amazing I love Steph she's fantastic yes, so same. talk to me about your collaborative relationship and what you guys did especially with a show that really features you know diegetic music and it's kind of built around you know rhythm and stuff like that so I'm curious about the approach yeah so the way that I got that project was very interesting because um so Miles Cowan at Lionsgate called me randomly one day and was like hey um I got this real big opportunity for you like this is a big show you'll be co-composing with um another composer and I just want to know like you think you can handle it because at this point this is my first tv show right yeah so I'm like yeah sure um because <laughs> I think what 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 happened was step up was originally on YouTube red and then it went yeah. to um or it was I think it was both seasons were on YouTube red um and then stars acquired it so they were going in a different direction with the music a little bit and just the show in general Right. And so to kind of shake things up, they wanted to get some different composers and different creative folks in the mix. And that's how like my name came up. And so Miles reached out to me and then literally Steph, I, I guess they told Steph about me and she reached out too and just kind of like was listening to my stuff. And so they sent me a um a scene to demo, right? Right. And so I sent it off. And I'm like waiting for the showrunners to listen to it and like Steph listen and everybody. And so they're like, okay, yeah, like let's have her. Literally a week later, I'm in the in the mix, like full throttle, you know, wow. we're going. So it was, and, and this was also during the pandemic still. So everything was remote. So Steph and wow. I, though we worked remotely, we we had a really great um collaborative energy and and to be honest I think I got spoiled a little bit because um I've heard just in general just like you know people when they have like a co-composer situation sometimes egos can get in the way and all of that but none of that got in the way it was very fluid very natural um I learned a lot from Steph with organization with workflow just like understanding why she chose certain instruments for her cues because yeah. even thinking about why certain like how certain things translate on tv um in the mix when you're on different devices since it's streaming you know all of that yeah, and so everything gets boiled down sometimes you're just listening on these things and you, you know <laughs> right and so i learned so much um and even just the tv workflow where you have the music editors and you have all these people that are in the mix to help you do your best work and alleviate all of the administrative stuff that you might not get on indie projects where it's like uh Leia Dennis like the music editor I was like I get a music editor like <laughs> I'm on the spotting sessions and I'm just focused on listening to the showrunner and listening to the EPs and listen to them give feedback and I can focus and not worry about taking notes right. after the after the the spotting sessions I'm getting a full spreadsheet of like notes and things that I'm like okay I remember we yeah we talked about this and it it, it allowed me to be my best creative self so most of the what we did Steph and I um because there were things that I was great at and there were things that Steph was great at. So we really just, we split things equally. And there were a lot of cues that we, we composed um, together too. Mm. So it was like, it was a beautiful blend of like, just our, our unique voices um, and 
just our workflow in general, it just matched perfectly. And I think that, yeah, it was, it was fun. And even like the, um, the, actually the, the, the cue that I demoed, I ended up fleshing out, which became the end title theme for every episode. So So, yeah, yeah. But that was, that was fun. And even like Steph would sometimes hear like some of my cues and she would be like, Ooh, that's a great theme that we can use later so like keep that so you can develop that later and so she would she would give me a lot of tips over the course of our collaborative um like just our workflow to kind of like alert me to like hey you can you can move this here or like use this here and so that was that was really fun that was really fun and I think like I said I feel like I got spoiled because it's in these moments where you realize like I wasn't able to maybe work under a composer, but I'm I'm collaborating with a composer. So it's the same kind of situation where you're being mentored, but you're actually getting to get something on your resume where you did a, a substantial amount of work. You know what right, I mean? So it's yeah. not like you're in the background, but you know, I, I really, um, I appreciated that experience so much. And I was actually working on step up Lizzo, and Horn of War at the same time. Oh my so goodness. I got to see the differences in the workflow, just the different processes and, and the different, um, like even with Lizzo, that was a way different process than Step Up because it's not narrative. It's like a docu-series kind of reality competition. Yeah, let's jump uh, over. I mean, yeah, Lizzo's yeah. Watch Out for the Big Girls. Like, Talk about the reality docu-series. How is that different than more of a linear narrative like, like that? Yeah, so that's different because a lot of number one things move way faster and mm. also um things change so much. So you might have like four editors on one episode and what I would get was like these long string outs of what would potentially go in the episode. So uh for this show I ended up creating a lot of themes and motifs and certain um like pretty much it was like a sweet style situation yeah. where I would create suites of music and we'd, I'd have to identify like based on the string out, I could see like, this is a, this is when Lizzo's doing the deliberation and letting the girls know like, Hey, this is who's progressing to the next round or whatever the case may be. So it's like, or she would give out the awards. So we would yeah. have specific cues that would be played every time she would give an award. Um, and even just for certain moves or or like episode specific because every episode was thematic. So I would create material for the episodes like the marching band episode or whatever. So each episode had its own theme. And then there was a suite of music that was used across the entire series right. um, for specific moments that would come up over and over. Um, and so that was, that was unique because um, originally like I was like, okay, like, you know, I definitely scored a picture for this, but that workflow just didn't work. You know what I mean? Because everything moves so fast, the edits changed. Like I might see one edit before like one week and then the next week is completely different. You know what I'm saying? They have tons of footage that they have to exactly create a narrative out of, which is insane. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then, and then you have the balance of Lizzo, who is an, an artist herself, and her music is the priority in the series. Yeah, and right. so you also have to, that's a delicate balance because um, you have to work around that and make sure you're not like 
you know, overstepping and, and, yeah. and, you know, so that was, that was an interesting flow and it was, I, I loved it. Um, I had a great team of people that I worked with, um, Philippe, who was the music suit, um, was so many great people, uh, Lewis, um, dang, Farnaz, I think, yep. I think Glenda, yeah, it was a lot of people that worked it's on just, that, that were just helpful. And, so Yeah, it's so fun because I don't, is that I don't even know if that's the norm because reality TV I feel like they usually just have library music that they just they you know do. to just throw in you know my wife watch we watch RuPaul together and we have the same you know this those music beats that come for during moments during the show but the fact that you had you did create the kind of that overarching kind of theme or suite and then you did picture uh, composing which is crazy that's awesome <laughs> yeah and 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 you know um, I learned because like I do watch a lot of reality TV and. It's getting to the point where I can literally watch different shows and hear the same. I'm like, oh, I know which library they got that from. Exactly. <laughs> and so for this, I'm like, okay, because there was a mix of like my work, you know, needle drops. And then they yeah. had some library moments in between, just depending on like what was needed or how, whatever they needed to do for the moment. Right. Um, but it was a it was it was definitely interesting coming in because I am aware that like it is easier for for reality to just get the library in there because really it's not it's not cinematic in a way where you're kind of like telling the story and you really need music to drive the story you just kind of need it as like a mood or just yep. a, yeah you know what i'm saying so that was that was a that was a my first time kind of being behind the scenes as a creator and not as a consumer and it's like okay i get it um, and even yeah. with just the workflow and editing style, I get why the library makes sense um, because it just shifts so fast. And it's like, it's not always a great environment for a composer to work in because. Oh yeah. It would have been a the, nightmare. The to, way, so many, yeah. yeah. So those, all those uh, edits and changes, I mean, all that footage, I can't imagine. They're probably just yeah. going to throw something in and get it out, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the volume of music, because it's almost like wall to wall music. Yeah, it's wallpaper. In reality. It's like, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's like okay, I get I get why the library makes sense for these types of um, projects because it's like the music is really a supporting character more so than it is like you know narrative projects. The music is more of a uh, it drives it drives things way more than you kind of realize in reality. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to, uh, uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about Three Ways, which is yep. a fantastic film uh, that you executive produced and scored <laughs> on Hulu, playing on Hulu right now. But first, yeah, talk to us. How did you become a producer on this on this movie and, and what made you want to produce this film, I guess? <laughs> so the unique thing about that is um, that came like way later because essentially the way that that happened is that this was an indie before it even got picked up by um Anscape, which distributed through Hulu. Yeah. Um Jamal, the director, Jamal Dado, he's the director. He came to me and he's like, Hey, this is how much I have. Like, you know, it's an indie project. At that point, we had no idea what it, if it was gonna get picked up or anything. We're just like, I have a great, you know, he he yeah. said, I have a great film. I want it to be like um, what did he say, Jackie Brown? He was like, it's Jackie Brown. It's like an A24 sex comedy. I'm like, all right, send me the link. Let me see it. I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, 
I have to be a part of this. Um, so it was it was kind of a negotiation situation where, um, you know, I'm adding value in a way that like you might not be able to compensate. But the other thing is, is I brought more money into the mix through the mm -hmm. real change grant as well. So it's like when you start adding value in these ways, there's another conversation that's being had where it's like, OK, you're more than just the composer at this point. Absolutely, um, yeah. And even when it comes to the post-production situation with the sound design and all of that, I brought, um, originally there was um, some folks on, because there was the first run of the post-production that we did for the festival run, mm -hmm. which um, I think there was a young man named Mark Rivers who did the sound design and stuff. And then we later did another mix for distribution to Hulu and all of that, where I brought in transported audio um, Eric and Austin and the great guys over there. So it was a lot of me just bringing value to the table and being more than the composer and even like, you know, sitting in the sessions with Eric and them, like helping them mold the sound and letting them know like, Hey, kind of like being a sound supervisor as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, Hey, I'm bringing some things to the table. Um, like, let's have that conversation. And Jamal was very open and he's like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think I was very fortunate in that way because a lot of, um, a lot of directors are not always open to that because they feel like someone's trying to take something from them. And it's like, no, it's just the right thing to do when you're not always in a position to like honor what, you know, what it might take or cost to have someone in the mix. So it's like, let's be flexible. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with it. I love the project, you know, if, yeah. if up front, you know, it can't, it's, it's not something that you can, um, or I'll just say if in the beginning, we don't have all the resources to kind of get everything together and we can kind of figure out how everybody can leverage what they have to get this done let's do it and let's give people equity in the situation and let's like, you know, make it flow like that. Kind of like how um, Zendaya did with her film that she did during the pandemic yeah. where like the crew got points on the film and um, you know, all of that stuff. But with me, like whenever I'm in a position like that, cause there are a few other projects where I'm an executive producer on, I did a series yeah, it's have, not yeah. out yet. Um, but it's really like a situation where I'm either investing in it, like I'm putting money up or I'm, um, putting money into the mix through the value where it's like you might not have the money to pay what it costs to have me on it but it's like okay I'm cool with that like let's figure it out and it just it just depends but I think that that's something that more people should do and get comfortable doing especially when you're building something from the beginning Um, and this was my first time even like getting a film where I've done that to the point of an Anscape situation where they're acquiring uh licensing it and it's like yeah. you know on Hulu or whatever you know what I mean and even still I got I still like own the score too so that's another wow. thing that yeah, doesn't great. happen no, that doesn't yeah. happen often and that's you know it's just a matter of like understanding what's at stake what you're bringing to the table and how you guys can come together to make something work and do the long play you know, yeah. it's the long, it's the long play for me. I think it's, but it's important. I mean, you're advocating for yourself too, as well. Like, I mean, and also tying back to everything you told me at the beginning, how you 
were in school and you guys were all, you know, doing sound and, and working off each other and you sound design is such a part of your process and the fact yeah. that you're kind of manifesting this into your professional career and especially in and uh that's that's awesome i mean congratulations that's <laughs> oh thank you thank you yeah yeah i you know i i just um it's like i just take it day by day i i really love the business side just as much as the creative too which is why yeah. i think some things and even like i just want to say shout out to my agent arbel at spectra who was also really instrumental in um helping make that happen too um but you know it's just, I love both sides of the coin. And I've always had a thirst and a quest to understand that because I realized when I look around, the people that really win are the people that understand both sides and understand how to balance the two. Um, and, you know, you see people like Michael B. Jordan, who has his own company now and is, yeah. you know, directing and EPing and it's like, you know, starting off as an actor where you're the talent, but you transition over onto the other side, but you can do both. And it's a delicate dance for sure. Um, but it can be done. And I think yeah. that's another thing that I just want to focus on is showing people a better way, not even a better way, just a different, different yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. A different way to do things and that something's though they may be unprecedented, they might not, they're not going to be anomalies. They're not going to be things that you're just like, oh, how did you do that? It's going to be a standard. And I just want to help create new standards and initiate new conversations and deals that give people um, more control over their lives. Like, I think, I don't even know the editor. I forget his name, but I just saw this video yesterday where there was an editor who won, um, a film editor who won an Oscar. Yeah, John Ottman. He uh, he won for um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he said uh, people, like in this industry, we feel like, you know, basically killing ourselves for the sake of the work is a badge of honor. And he said, I think that's BS. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when it's all said and done, what do you have to show for what you put into this industry, what you put into this? You know, we miss a lot of years of family time. Sometimes life things happen. Like we miss kids. I have a daughter, you know? Yeah. So it's like, we spend so much time working where it's like, okay, when it's all said and done, what do you have to show for the amount of time that you dedicated to this? Some people let their health go sometimes. And it's like, we can't, we have to find a way to take care of ourselves in the long term and find yeah. that balance of like doing great work, but also having a great life. And when you hang up your cleats, what do you have to say? This is what I did. It's not the awards because that doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's great. <laughs> it's great to have, you know, but it's still like, what is your life looking like after it's all said and done? And it's, that's what I'm focused on. It's like, how do I set myself up in a way where I can still have a great life? I can pour into other people when I'm, when I'm done, I want to have the resources to be able to pour into other people so that other kids coming up, other adults, because yeah. some people pivot like Ava, I think she pivot, she pivoted like 33. She shot her first film at 33 and look where she's at. Yeah. She was a publicist before. Wow. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, 
So you never know when your life can change. It's all up to you. And you just have to, you have to be passionate enough to understand and just be deliberate in understanding how to map things out and be intentional and follow the plan, change if you need to, whatever. But like, I'm and just it's also just, you know, the, the, the industry is shifting so much recently. You know, I mean, everything is shifting underneath our feet where, you know, all these mergers and, and you know, mm. streaming bubble pops and everything. Yeah. And the fact and the streaming and the revenue streams are all, you know, that's it's just always a conversation about proper compensation. And of course, the guilds are and the unions are always, you know, having these conversations, right. for not just composing across everything. So I think the fact that you're looking for, you know, the fact that we can break these traditional molds. And, you know, maybe it's not traditional for a composer to have executive producer credit. We don't see that often, but it <laughs> should be, you know, you know, yeah, if, yeah. If depending what you bring to the project. Exactly. You yeah. About your worth and what you're bringing to it and change this, you know, the, the, the old way of doing things. I mean, that's the whole point of the film and film has always evolved. And I think we need to break certain things to build new things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that, um, you know, it was always it was always amazing to me to see like when I would watch the credits at the end, I'm like, everybody gets credit for everything. Literally the assistant is in the credits, yeah. the assistant to the actors, the assistant to the payroll. Like, so when I saw that, I'm like, okay, cool. Everybody gets acknowledgement. Now, you know, let's find a way to value. Let's take it a step further and just value people even more because that's really what it's about. And that's yeah. how you maintain that's that's really the long-term thing. It's like, if people feel comfortable coming back to work with you or for you or however you have it arranged, that's how you continue to sustain. And that's how you keep getting your great ideas out. Um, because again, not everybody wants to be the top person. Not everybody wants to be the director. Yeah. And when you find people that are like, no, I just want to do cinematography, but they love working with you. They're great at what they do. You got to take care of those people. You got to make sure that they feel value because otherwise it's like, that's where you lose people. Um, and I just think that overall, I think the corporations, I think anybody who's who's at the top has to understand and learn how to show their appreciation in ways that, you, because at the end of the day, like we all need each other to get these things done. And yeah. You know, the directors and everybody, you know, they might put the money up or they might have the creative, they might be the creative captains or shit, but it's still like, you still need all these individual people to make this realized. Um, and so it's almost like your body. If you remove an element, okay, something is not going to work properly because <laughs> you need that, right? But Absolutely. That's, that's really the way I think about it. I've always had, I mean, I've, because I, I grew up loving film in the, and like, I was born in 87. So I grew up in the 90s okay. where like action auteurs kind of had their way with, you know, you had the Michael Bay's and all these things. So I, I grew up in my Robert Rodriguez's and, you know, Quentin Tarantino, or mm -hmm. you have this vision, this creative vision behind it. But then I always had a problem with the fact that, you know, it was like a Martin Scorsese picture or a Robert mm. Rodriguez film where it's like, why does the I, the director is very important but why did do they get to have the ownership you know of the film it's like they couldn't have done that with i'm all fine about having a creative auteur vision and then an auteur behind the music or you mm -hmm. know having that your your inner voice just kind of identify yourself but right i've always, I've always had a problem with that part of it where it's like the director owns the film and i'm like eh, everyone 
should contribute and feel ownership of that film, you know? Yeah. So, but you know, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting thing. And I've, I've been, um, recently like, and when I say recently, like the past, maybe three, three to five years been, I've been digging deeper into Oscar Michaud, Mm. um, because he was the first black, um, one of actually, he was the first black man to create a feature film. He owned, he was basically Tyler Perry before Tyler Perry, existed he had his own production studio he's made over like 40 plus films in his lifetime um he created the first i think he was actually the person that created the first film that had sound like dialogue and everything and that was in 1919 um and he actually i think he made a response to birth of a nation um but he was very instrumental from like the early 20th century, I think he died. I can't remember when he passed. Um, but what's interesting about his work is like some of his films got lost. Mm. Um, and even the historical relevance to the film industry in general, because he pioneered a lot of stuff that he doesn't get credit for. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, where's Oscar Michaud in this conversation? And, you know this might be stirring the pot, but there's also a rumor that the actual Oscar is named after him. Cause he oh, wow. was, a. Wow. <laughs> you know, that might be stirring the pot. I don't know yeah. that for sure, but I don't, I don't doubt it because he actually, uh, I think the director's guild, he was, I can't remember when that was established, but there were a lot of um, guilds and stuff that he was in the mix for, like in the mix of like, as a, not, not necessarily, or like on the boards of these, guilds and stuff yeah. like this um and like i said he was fully functional he would go on tours and tour his films all over the country um to promote them i mean you know so i've been studying him a lot to just understand like especially during that time for someone to do what he did on the mat at the magnitude that he did it yeah. producing directing his own films cranking out owning your own studio that was unheard of absolutely at the time Um, and so just like looking at what he did and figuring out how to mirror that and even like you know thinking about Tyler Perry uh just his business sense and what he's done because at some point I want to like acoustic research lab I just want to go a little bit deeper kind of like um actually Skywalker's doing a great job Skywalker sound um but I don't think there are any um black folks that like own a sound studio at the magnitude of that level um and so that's even like where i'm going to because i just love sound beyond what it does for film um you know we can close our eyes but we can't close our ears so sound is is a huge part of our life that we we're passively thinking about, but it should be more at the top of our brains and sound impacts our bodies, you know, frequencies, all of that. It's, it's, it's deep, you know, it's psychological. I mean, mean, it's, it's all psychological. It's it's tied to our, you know, psyche and our brains. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I always think that, you know, you people in your profession, like as composers of storytellers, it's just like, you guys are psychiatrists as well. You're trying to 
you read the, you know, take the audience on a journey and, and take that emotional, you know, thing. And that's not an easy thing to do, especially when we, we talked a lot of the logistics today too. It's just like, uh, you have to deal with all that and then somehow find a way to tell a meaningful emotional story that leaves an impact and, you know, that the audience gets to take with them. And I think that's so, it sounds impossible, but you, you do it with every project. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I did an exercise. I actually used to teach at the Art Institute in uh, North Hollywood for like, oh, I wow. did for like two years. Yeah. Um, and, and what's crazy is when, so I was the professor that like um, taught the scoring and composition class. I taught a bunch of other classes too, but um, I was the first one to teach that class at that campus. Wow. And so I remember doing an assignment where I made my students take the same scene, but score it five different ways to communicate five different emotions, to illustrate how important music is to the emotional um, landscape and how you can manipulate people's emotions and how they perceive what's happening based on yeah. what is musically happening. Because, you know, even sometimes, like I've gotten projects where the performance, the actors' performances might not have landed the way they wanted to but it's like now it's what we have so like music come in and save the day sound yep, come save yeah. the day you know and even sometimes smoothing like weird edits you know what I mean sure, um, yeah. and you know the consumers don't always understand how they're being um moved by music and sound which is why the things that they see, like the directors or they hear the people they hear about the most, the, the writers and stuff, the actors, sometimes they don't understand how instrumental music and sound is to how they perceive the actors' performances and stuff yeah. like that. And so it's always fun because I'm like, listen, if we took this out, let's see what what would be the case. How it, it changes. How you yeah. will perceive it. Yeah. And I'm I'm always um I'm I always respect directors that take a risk and do films with no music and they use sound in deliberate ways to manipulate things or even like people who are very like we can have music but like let's just do five cues and an entire feature and it's like yeah. okay I, I like yeah this. when it's done like I mean I think just to mine I know No Country for Old Men has barely any score from Carter and I think Mother I think Johan, before he passed, was supposed to do a score, but actually, he, I, I think the story is he told Aronofsky, like, you don't need music in this. Let's just do sound design. And I thought, you know, that's sound, the 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 way sound can build and, and low ends moving. I mean, it just all affects mm -hmm. you to say similar, similar brain thing that happens yep. with music. Yeah. It's... Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, I know sometimes directors get thrown off, but I'm like, we don't need music for every yeah. every single moment. Like, you know, I'm cool with that. It's just, it's really about what you want to communicate. What is the story that you want to tell? How do you want people to hone in on these certain moments and why? Because yeah. it's not just about, hey, let's just put this here because it feels good. It's like, why do you want people to focus on this moment? Because when you have music there, that's what you're doing. You're drawing attention to this. Say, the brain is like, hey, wait, I need to focus on this for something. Like, yes. you know, yeah. so it's like, you know, getting directors to address that because sometimes they think they need something and I'm like well why and they get a little stump and it's like okay I'm glad I asked this question because you know sometimes when you're in this in this space you 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 feel obligated to do things because it's the way that you feel it's been done yeah and yeah. 
it doesn't have to we don't have to stay like that everything is made up anyway <laughs> exactly it's all we <laughs> like make the we rules you know <laughs> yeah yeah you know you can create new rules yeah um it's just once we create a rule now it's a matter of whether or not we all agree on the rule if we agree then okay it's a rule yeah. but it's it's, it's art (laughs) i know it's art and that's why when i i I used to write reviews way back in the day and i stopped because i was like i don't want to i i feel like Mm. you know i think the critic culture has begun to the point i read things on forums where it's like a film score should be this i'm like who says who says who right like right i agree why does it have to be this like uh you know the whole point everything that we love about film you look at the french new wave where they broke all the rules Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. creating jump cuts creating things you know what godard did and all these things and it's like we, I feel like we were st- we're kind of like in this commercialized world now where it's like we expect certain things and now with franchise filmmaking just being everything it's like we want the same thing over and over again but it's like every now and then we need somebody to come in and just like what if we did this and see what yeah. happens you know yeah but. which is why I think um you know I used to be a little self-conscious about even calling myself a composer because mm. I didn't go to like a film scoring school or just and you know even as a music major it's like my major was music recording in college so it was definitely focused on like studio engineering even though we were we were um music majors and we had to do recitals and read we took theory but there was a certain level of theory that like I didn't go through that Mm. the music education majors went through yeah and so it was all like okay am I really qualified but I think the raw, uh, just the raw instincts that I have to do certain things, some of my peers that have gone through other programs just are not, they're just, they don't want to do it or they're not inclined to like move in that direction because it yeah. it doesn't align with the conventions that they've been taught. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, but I, even even after school I had to have a period where I undid some of the the um some of the things that I was taught because I felt myself like well this we're not supposed to do this and we're not supposed to do this and I felt myself pulling away from my raw creative instincts where I needed to lean into them because that's where you get the really cool stuff that's where you get the new things and even now that's why uh with the morse code situation i started doing that and like really i started developing that in 2017 and um it's different but it works for me and even even like i said with like the john cage i i i gravitated to john cage a lot even in like grad school and even undergrad because he did things in such a way that was like what yeah and it felt you know it's like okay is this even music or whatever but I realized like okay I can still leverage this this method of creation and make it digestible but again western notation who says we have to abide by these rules of theory and you know uh notation and all of these rules do i know them sure yeah yeah but is this the way that my soul expresses its best self not quite mm, yeah <laughs> and so um you know even like 
I was just in LA like last week doing a, a vocal session for a TV show that I'm working on now. And there was a point where like all of the singers had um they had a notepad on their stand and I went and drew these pictures on their on their uh on their notepads. And I said, "Listen, sing this however you interpret it." Okay? Mm. I said, "Don't worry about just sing whatever pitches come to your mind." Don't worry about when the next person next to you starts or stops. Whatever duration you think that the lines or the pictures, just sing it how you sing it. And it's so amazing to watch people do this, interpret things, but also feel one another so that they come together. And it's like they're vibing off one another and they're generating things. So it's like, again, it comes back to the conversation where it's like, it's really a community and a collaborative effort. And one person can ignite the idea and you give other people an opportunity to put themselves in the work. And it's like, you get better results that way. (laughs) That's so beautiful because yeah, you're you're harnessing their, their humanity. You're harnessing their humanity rather than saying just do what you're told just you know you use your brain yeah. power to do your you know what your technique is and get it done whether it's like no yeah. i want you your 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 i want your brain to come up with something unique to you that's yeah that's so yeah fascinating yeah um, and and you know that's just how it that's just how i like to work <laughs> well but before we wrap up i want to end on um we've, we've covered so much today so it's been mm-hmm. so so fascinating but uh, you know, we I did mention that the industry is changing, it's shifting. We're always in this constant state of shifting. Um, and um, so I'm curious, what are some of the good things you're seeing going on right now? What are some of the bad things that still mm. need some improvements and from your perspective? Um, some of the good things, I just think that we're we're moving into a space where I think overall people are understanding their value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and we are in a unique space where a lot of tools are being created that give um, people who would otherwise need to rely on uh, entities with more resources or, you know, larger bankrolls to help them get these ideas out where it's like now people have more uh, freedom and more access to get their ideas out and get them out in a way that is comparable to what these studios and stuff are creating or sometimes better. It's just really about understanding and knowing your tools. Um, But I think, I think overall, I am appreciating um, everybody just kind of coming to their senses and realizing like, Hey, I can do this. Um, I can make these things. I can do these things. And even just seeing uh, a lot of, a lot of new voices getting the opportunity to, share themselves on big platforms and having great success and inviting others into the mix to kind of grow and ascend at the same, the same way, you know what I mean? And I'm really, I just really enjoy um, the unconventional voices that are emerging right now. Um, I also really like where TV is right now. Yeah, yeah. In terms of like the shows that are coming out, I'm like, man, this stuff is incredible. And I know we're also in a weird place with, um, I, I know I keep hearing about the writer's strike and things like that. Um, but, you know, there's this thing that I always think about where it's like chaos is order seeking to emerge. Mm-hmm. 
So whenever things feel chaotic, I'm like, order is on the way. And it's yeah. all, it's everything is, it, it flows in cycles. So I'm never, I'm never, uh, I'm never thrown off by things that people get wrapped up in like, you know, oh, we're about to lose this. We're about to lose this. So I'm like, great. Where are the opportunities in this? I'm looking for the opportunities in all of the mess because they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just yeah. about, it's about the way you look at the world. And so if you get wrapped up in the fear mongering, even with, with AI, I was just talking to one of my peers like a couple of weeks ago about um, this new, this new technology where they leverage AI to do the overdubs in different languages, but it matches the mouth. So they face track the actors and it does it in the same tone, like in the accent and in the, the, the tone of like, you know, J Japanese or Mexican, yeah. you, know, wow. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, yo, this is crazy disruptive because it not only takes out the vocal actors, but sometimes it could it, it could actually disrupt like um the 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 engineers and the people that record these these overdubs and stuff like that. Yeah. And I told my peers, I'm like, yo, y'all need to have this software so that you guys know how to use it so that when the studios come to you guys and they're like, hey, do you have this software? You might not be recording the stuff the same way anymore, but now you can use and integrate the software. But I'm just like, man, all right, yeah. like here it is. <laughs> it's here. What are you going to do? And I mean, I've even been learning a lot about the AI stuff in the, on the visual front too, with like just understanding um, the visual art and how you can leverage it for storyboarding where you might be drawing stuff out. Yeah. And now you can use text prompts that you create to generate your imagination. So it's like, put your script into mid journey and see what image pops up. And it might inspire something that you didn't even think you would need for a character or you imagine for a character. So right. I just, I love where we're at. And like I said, I don't, I see the opportunity in everything I do. The only thing that I feel um, we should just get better at is just, making sure we're investing in the people that are adding value across the board. I understand budgets. Um, yeah. I understand, you know, all of that stuff, but it's like, you know, valuing, valuing people in a way that allows them to comfortably work on what's going to make you a great return. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just pour into people and you will get the results. You will get the results. You know, that's Absolutely. all that it's about. It's just make sure you take care of the people that are, that are pouring their heart in missing milestones in their kids' careers. Yeah. <laughs> thousands of thousands of miles away from their parents who might be older and they can't, you know, hop on a plane right away. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just overall, I know this has been a thing that it's not just unique to our generation or our time. It's a problem right. that has existed since the beginning of time where there's just hierarchy, yeah. but we got to find a way we have, we have a lot of different ways to exchange value. And sometimes it's not even always about the money. It's just about acknowledgement in a way that makes sure people's needs first are taken care of. If you acknowledge it, like, are your needs met? What do you need? Do you have a roof yeah. over your head? Do you have food? Do you like, you know, 
and then we can start getting into some of the other intricacies of like what people are being paid and stuff like that but people just want their needs met and occasionally some of their wants <laughs> yeah absolutely you know, it's just you know that's really we just got to make sure we're taking care of the people that are that are helping us thrive so everybody can thrive you know absolutely well that's so wonderfully and beautifully said uh, <laughs> i mean that was just perfect and emily thank you so much for your time and for no, your insight you. and it's just this was just a wonderful conversation i, I just love it just love yeah hearing about everything and and uh love your work and it's just uh i love seeing where your career is going and uh it's it, yeah thank you so much <laughs> yes no i'm excited thank you for having me and um i hope you know the next time i come on it's to talk about another big project I have coming up and maybe maybe one of these Oscar performance one of these Oscar awards or something I don't know but I love it I'll come back anytime 